This is the home of what I call the 100. Many years ago, I recognized that if I knew at least 100 highly capable, talented leaders and performers, then when we wanted to achieve something, I could reach out to the people who already knew how to do it, and I could use their strategy, which means a high return on any effort that we put in. This group is now called The 100, and they're the people that I access for this show, and the intent is to bring you unique insights that they have to achieve all sorts of incredible things. And along the way, I will coach you on how to execute their knowledge. What's really important for you when you turn up is that you need to have front of mind. What is it that you want to get really good at? Hi-ho! Welcome to the podcast! Put on your headphones, grab some popcorn, put the car on cruise control. Time to start the show! Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sure that's how I always start my shows, but today it's ladies and gentlemen. I am so excited to have a friend of mine, Timbo Reed. You may not know this, Timbo. You're the first guest on the show. All other episodes have been curated or the recordings from something else and that we've made into a podcast. So you're my what? first guest. I'm going to say I'm honoured. You know, we love talking. So it was sort of obvious to me, especially because you're the, the podcast king. For those people who don't know Timbo, a couple of things you need to know. Timbo has a podcast called Small Business Big Marketing. It is over 584 episodes at the time of recording this. And it is a regular number one on Apple iTunes in the marketing section. 110 countries are downloading it, including Kazakhstan, which was always <laughs> one of your dreams. <laughs> and author of The uh, Boomerang Effect. And for those people that do know the speaking circuit are in corporate circles, particularly Timbo's a massive speaker on the circuit and is red hot property. And I'm excited to talk to Timbo and apologies first up Timbo, because I've learned that when I interview people that I'm friends with and that I know, I'm horrendous yeah. at this. Horrendous. But if I don't and, know and, them, and I'm unbelievable. Actually interviewing them. Yeah, the questions. I'm not as clear with my questions because I'm right. so aware of the rapport. I'm kind of having a chat and thinking but when i don't know somebody i just go in like a journalist and just ask very direct questions because i probably don't know mm -hmm. so well Dobbo, so, and do you mind do you mind if i call you Dobbo? is that too familiar should i be calling you mark or, or mr no Dobby? the show's called Dobbo's podcast so it's probably oh, <laughs> it's probably a giveaway so timbo mate thanks for doing this my first question is like you've interviewed 500 plus business owners mm -hmm. on all things around marketing and I'm sure that there's sometimes when you feel like you're going over old ground because you, you're so familiar with it. But what have you learned from doing 500 plus episodes in this niche area and being exposed to so many businesses here and overseas? Learned about myself, learned about business, learned about marketing. I'd like to know the answer to all three of those. <laughs> I knew you'd do that. Like, that's why I stopped at three. <laughs> <laughs> well, what have you learned about, let's start with yourself. That I'm capable of something. I'm very proud of having that amount of episodes out there. They're on, on average an hour long. I'm disappointed if the 10,000 hour theory is true, Dobbo, and you, you're the man to confirm or deny it, mm. then I'm still a long way off, mate. Even at, you know, 584 episodes as of today, with the average episode taking me probably five hours to put together, I'm still so short of 10,000 hours. And that freaks me out a bit because there's a lot I don't know, which I'm very happy to accept, um, mm. except I would like to get to that 10,000 hours. Is it true, that 10,000 hours thing? Uh, well, that's a theory. I think Malcolm Gladwell or somebody did that. I can't remember. Somebody in the audience will be correcting me. But I've found that it is true f for sure. But it's not necessarily that you needed to do 
that many hours of podcasting. So I'm an expert in my field, but it's been executed in many different ways. Sometimes in coaching, sometimes reading books and exploring and diving into the subject, sometimes being in front of an audience. So, you know, if you took somebody who's just a swimmer, just a swimmer, but you're solely a swimmer, then their 10,000 hours is everything to do with swimming. And that can include diet and stretching and yoga on the Uh, side. So I really think that 10,000 is like an obsessive immersion in something. Okay. That's a good one. Now I feel better. Okay. I've I've exceeded my 10,000 hours. Happy days. Yeah. What else have have I learned? Um, I've learned that marketing, which I knew, given my show is all about marketing for small businesses, although it seems to have crept into medium sized and bigger businesses now seeing the profile of my listening audience. Mm. I, it is confirmed in me the power of marketing because I speak to all, the criteria for a guest on my podcast is a successful business owner, founder, with an interesting story of growth that has used some form of marketing to get there. So, you know, I sort of start off broad and have that macro discussion about how the hell did you get this idea to market? Where'd the idea come from? And drill down into marketing. And I'm, and I'm reminded of just how important a function marketing is in growing a business and how few business owners respect that. So part of my job, I guess, in my podcast is, is to remind people that, that it is important and, and to make time for it and to give them ideas as to what to make time for. So that, that's been pretty good. You know, I started my show, Dobbo, because I was in corporate marketing for a long time, dealing with big global brands like Gillette and Mercedes-Benz and Uncle Toby's and Yellow Pages and all this. And being in corporate, you have a lot of meetings and you have a lot of meetings to have meetings, and then you take notes, and then you find that things that don't get done. And it's a very frust- for me, it was a very frustrating environment. When I, when I would meet small business owners, when I was a corporate marketer, and they found out what I did, they asked me a lot of questions. I'd give them advice if they asked for it, and they would go and implement that advice. And then they'd come back to me and tell me they implemented the advice, and it was really good. Or if it wasn't any good, We'd make a few changes and they'd go back and implement it again. And that excited me because I saw in small business owners something I didn't see in the corporate person. And that was all about having skin in the game. It is all about having skin in the game, having ownership, bringing a dream to life. So that that was pretty exciting. And I continue to learn a lot from those types of people. And what have you learned in the third category about what have you learned about business? That great business owners build great businesses that solve problems that they themselves experienced and they couldn't find an elegant enough solution. It would appear that's a very common occurrence over and over again. So uh, that's exciting. Um, It takes courage. I'm in awe, mate. I am absolutely in awe. I don't care if you're a solopreneur or you've built a business. You know, just this week I interviewed a bloke who five years, six years ago started a brewery and now employs 81 staff and he's doing 65 million bucks. He's valued at 65 million bucks, did 15 million last year. Mate, I look at that person, that guy. His name's Dan Norris from Black Hops Brewery. And I'm just in total awe. I am just, I don't know, mate, the courage, the determination, the passion. I'm fascinated more and more as I go on with my podcast and as I get older by chatting to people who are on purpose because there are some times that I've been on purpose and there's been a lot of times when I haven't felt on purpose. And when I find these people that are constantly on purpose, I am in awe of them. And that is a lot of small business owners. It's interesting 
what you say about the inspiration. I found that any time, say, I'm coaching somebody or I'm, I'm having that conversation like you are and you see that person that's perfecting something, it's like hitting a golf ball or, or, or hitting a cricket ball with a bat and you hit the sweet spot. Like, it's beautiful every time. Mm. Like, when I watch cricket, I've seen a cover drive a thousand times, but if it's perfect, it's just perfect, <laughs> perfect. every time. And yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it never gets old. So I, I totally hear that. But I was saying to somebody, a friend of mine recently, and they were just curious about you know, the different network I had and who I was working with. They said, it's all inspiring. I said, it is inspiring, I guess. But my actual experience is that I can actually feel quite um, almost like a loser sometimes because you are yeah. hanging around people who are so capable. So if you're having a bad day and yeah. they're hitting the sweet spot in their life, I have to do a lot of work to remind myself. <laughs> to show up. Hey, Dubbo, yeah, yeah well, I have to go, Dubbo, you're particularly good at something else and, and accept that and remember that because it's very easy to say, wow, that's so beautiful. I want to be like that or I, I want to do that thing. And I definitely find that the entrepreneur has a different skill set than I have. They, they have the ability to either crunch numbers or perhaps um, they know an industry better than I do and it makes sense for them to move into it. It doesn't always feel courageous for them, but it looks courageous when we observe it. Yeah, 100%. I can relate yeah, to that. Yeah, I think the, uh, they're awesome, mate. I, I, you know, and you're right, you know, sometimes it, it does require an element. And I'm not an envious person. I don't like envy. I think envy is destructive, jealousy. So I try to avoid that. But yeah, like I do front up sometimes and you feel a bit undercooked. But that's okay. It kind of, it, it, for me, and I haven't quite 100% worked my way through this, but for me, it's like, well, I've been put on this, world, on this planet to do one thing and you've been put on it to do another. And then the, per, the person I interview is there to do another. So to compare is just like right. I say, self-destructive. And when you recognize that, and I think it comes a bit with age, and uh, you take comfort in it and sit back and go, okay, this is where my journey is at and this is where my journey is going and it's my journey and I'll do the best I can and not look to others. I might look to others for inspiration or advice mm. or whatever, but the minute you attach to them beyond that, that's when it can become a bit harmful. Totally agree. I definitely find myself being very good at noticing something beautiful Gee, and I'm having this moment where I think, geez, my house isn't in order there. I've got to, I can do better in my world. And then I tend to go and put my effort back into the thing that I do. And that's probably what I, you may, I may not have done as a young man. I would have put my effort in trying to be something I'm not. I agree. There's a, yeah. there's a benefit of age. It just says, I can't be <laughs> doing all this other shit. <laughs> so what, what, do you think about, what do you think about the concept huh? of being born old and dying young? I occasionally think of this and go, geez, mm. wouldn't it be good to start with all that wisdom? Oh, yeah. My granddad used to say that. He said, it makes no sense for an old man to have money. He needed it when he was young and had the energy <laughs> he could have used it. It's all ass about. Yeah, it is. All Benjamin Button stuff. Um, look, I don't think about that a lot because I can't do much about it. But uh, I've been no, talking right. to my old man and uh, about death a bit through the years, like that whole, because he's at the other end and he's just saying, nah, getting old sucks. Yeah. And... Uh, we both have been reading um, the what is it the Tibetan book of living and dying. It's got a really good. It actually t openly talks about death. Like that, it says like it's the only thing you know for certain in this world is death is coming. It's the only certainty. Yet it is the thing that receives least attention because we're almost mm. in denial of it. And it's it's awesome because Dad's had uh, cancer on and off for thirty something years. He's had all sorts of side effects where the doctors say, "Look, Colin, no one's been on these drugs for as long as you have. So yeah, you probably do have some side effects because you know we've got no evidence." 
because mm. you're the only one still alive. But it means that because he's had so many close shades with death, he's ready to talk about that big stuff and he thinks about it. So I definitely ponder that stuff. And it, it is a bit of a reminder to say, well, therefore, go and, go and live, Mark, go and live. And then I mm. get stuck with the question, well, what does that mean today? Because I've got a lot of emails to do. <laughs> like, so I'm constantly <laughs> trying to be that young man while I can. Um, but my kid is screaming I, I, for a I bottle. Had a and, fellow, uh, I had a fellow on the show a few years ago, Glenn Azar, his name is. He's a mad Kokoda track fellow. He's a fitness freak. He's, I think he's an ex-buddy, not a Navy SEAL, but an ex-soldier of some sort. Uh, and his favourite quote is, uh, he's got two actually, uh, not dead yet. <laughs> he gave it, I've got, I've got mm. the t-shirt with that on it, which I think is awesome. And um, we're all making our way far too safely to death is his big one or something mm. to that effect, which is mm. right, you know, like, um, and I'd be, you know, I don't know about you, I'd be guilty of that. Not, not, not willing to take the risks that maybe, you know, like I said, Dan Norris at Black Hops Brewery or, or many of my other guests have been willing to take. It's interesting to ponder. And, mate, I know we're not, we're not here to talk about death. Are we here to talk about No, I, well, well, I might as well. Come on. We are, well, you're very lucky. I, I, you know, I said I'm not an envious person, but the fact that you've had those, you have those discussions with your old man, awesome. Awesome. Mm. My old man died many, many years ago, uh, and I was a young bloke, but um, that's, a, that's a gift. It is a gift. I'm very aware of it too. We really enjoy each other's company and having those sort of chats and uh, it is a gift. Um, if you then have that awareness about like living and, you know, that guy said to you, like, you know, not dead yet and we're slowly moving to death, like you know, yeah. without yeah. living or cautiously, what is risk or courage to you? Because I actually think a lot of people would look at what you've done, leaving the corporate world, going out on your own, you've displayed a lot of courage. Mm. what's courage now? I, I, I'll, I'll endeavour to try and find some philosophical answer for that, probably unsuccessfully, but it's interesting your observation that I have demonstrated courage myself, and I guess I have. And I think what it highlights, without bringing it back to me, is that we don't celebrate. We, and I'll represent business owners here, small business owners in particular, because they're my people, uh, and I love them dearly. Um, we, we don't celebrate the wins anywhere near enough the small wins the big wins you know it's just you know, onto the next thing you know got a business to run here and i think that's flawed and i i do i mean it's a lovely reminder and i will go away and think about what i've done because i did you know i left a very i left a very comfortable job but at australia's biggest advertising agency to go and work at a charity for two years i realized i couldn't make money from it it filled my soul but i couldn't I couldn't provide for my family, so I went back and was the marketing director of a large travel agency, flight centre, and um, you know that didn't float my boat. So I finally got out and ran my own show, not really knowing what I was going to do. So I suppose there was a bit of courage there, if not stupidity. But uh, I think the point is, we do need to celebrate our achievements and our wins. We need to sit back and reflect on it. It'd be it's a kind of a nice. I suppose people who journal, and I don't. But I guess that one of the questions that people who journal daily answer at the end of the day is something like, what was your greatest achievement today or what are you most proud of today? And there's a lot to be said to that. And I'm far too lazy to um, create a journaling habit. I think that the business owner enjoys the hunt. They enjoy the creation and the building. And so although they don't celebrate, they're just enjoying being in the doing it's the, mate, like, I, I think the smart doing. ones do that's a that's a pretty broad statement where you say you think the business owner 
geez, there's a lot of types of business owners. If we were to divide them up into two, there's the driven one that absolutely enjoys the hunt. And I've got example after example after example Mm. of of case studies of those that do that. And then there's the the business owner and the smaller business owner that's made a lifestyle decision. And and I suppose, you know, a cafe owner might be an example of this. I'm not sure the cafe owner is enjoying the hunt. The cafe Mm. owner's got a payout from a corporate job, and I'm being stereotypical here and I'm generalizing, but they've got a payout from a corporate job, wanted a lifestyle, and I'm using air quotes, so they'll buy a cafe. Well, there's no hunt in that. They've just bought themselves a, a, another job. Um, mm. And that's, again, yeah, you're right. No, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's just that, you know, in Agassiz's book, he says how the win is just such a short experience where the, the failures just hang over you. Huh. And it's so true. When you win, it just feels so good until you start lifting your eyes the next one. I remember coaching Colby at the X Games and he just won this bronze medal that we should never have gotten. We're sitting at this uh, uh, this sushi bar, like it's in it's in what, Aspen, so it's a pretty fancy sushi bar. And the general rule in the X Games yeah. is you spend 10% of your winnings on your team. So he'd won 10 grand, so he spends a grand on us. A grand on sushi is a lot. And uh, we'd only just won it, we're celebrating. And he just sort of leans across. He goes, oh, I've been thinking about this other trick. <laughs> and so my friend, Sam, who was actually there to keep other people away from Colby and I, when we're having these conversations, because everybody thinks that their, their voice has got value and you've got to keep everyone at distance. And she looked at me and thought, Oh God, you guys are going to start again. So she had to then distract everybody so we could talk. We'd only won the thing three hours ago. And yet when you've got a failure, I know that, you know, for myself and others, I think it's a very human thing to, we keep revisiting it. And, and I think courage as I've gotten older is to have had pain on something, but then yeah. to go again, because as you get older, you get burnt a few times in all sorts of uh, endeavors. And I think the marketing thing is an interesting space where, where there is a burn, because what I find people tend to default to is this social media space and spends to agencies like six grand a month for this, plus you're boosting this and you've got that. And that's all fine oh, for, some yeah. ads, for some companies it really works. But like I've got a company at the moment that I consult to and I transferred their spending of 6,000 plus a month. I said, dump your social media and go and get an ambassador relationship with this person for your brand. And that for like two and a half grand, mm-hmm. that plus some other incentives, that change has changed the business because this ambassador can bring in whales like whales of clients and i think that some people get burnt because they had the wrong strategy and then recoil and oh i don't want to do it again or they just Mm -hmm. tinker with these things and believe somebody uh, they believe all this data about reach and etc which is actually not transferring into an actual um, to a transaction to a currency right you must see it all the time Oh, buddy, don't even, well, you've got me started. I was saying, don't get me started. It's too late. You've opened up that can. That can. Let's go. It's got SM on the front, social media. How do we get onto that? You've just done this incredibly sharp segue into a specific marketing strategy, which I'm happy to go down if you like. I mentioned that because I think most people, when they think marketing, they just default to that. Mm, Maybe, maybe it is. Um, Okay, so we'll talk marketing. If someone I say to marketing to a, a, the average person on the street, they generally go, it's advertising. Mm-hmm. And they sort of, without using the term marketing communications, they see marketing as being that, you know, TV, radio, press, outdoor, that's a bit old school, and social media. Um, I, I, see, I see far, 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 far too many small business owners thinking social media will be the silver bullet for their business. I'll I just agree. get on Facebook, I'll get on Insta, Good luck. Good luck with that. 
You reckon the guys um, at Silicon Valley are on our side? <laughs> Watch the social dilemma. You know, that'll convince mm. you pretty quickly. I think it's social media. I mean, geez, mate, we could do an entire bloody workshop on this uh, and, and convince everyone not to use it. But the reality is it's here to stay. It's not a silver bullet for businesses. It can be, you know, every now and then I come across a business that's spending a dollar on a social media channel and getting eight back. Awesome. Keep finding dollars. But, you know, for every one of those, I've got, you know, probably a hundred that are spending a dollar and getting, you know, 10 cents back, but they continue to do it. I think, I I don't know, mate, social media on so many levels from a business marketing point of view, from the father of three children who at one stage were teenagers, they're all now in their 20s, but I think it's destructive. I think it's destructive for not only young people, but old people, (laughs) everyone. It shows, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm not posting photos of myself just getting out of bed in the morning. Uh, No one does that. They put their best foot forward all the time. It creates terrible angst, anxiety, envy, all that kind of stuff. You know, like you say, the reach is bullshit. The the idea that it's going to be the panacea for your business is, is unbelievable. And and if you think about why Zuckerberg started Facebook, in, you know, in the first instance, it's actually just to communicate with a bunch of mates at Harvard. So if if you kind of go back to that pure pure intention, it's actually pretty good social media. But I kind of stuffed it all up early days because, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all those things sort of became big. My podcast, The Small Business Big Marketing Show, is it's 13 years old this year. So it's sort of back then, these social media channels were just getting sort of getting a bit of a grip, anchoring down. And um, I don't know, mate, I just saw them as a complete distraction and bright, shining object and thought I had better things to do. It's interesting when you say that because I rant about that sometimes to my clients and they kind of go, yeah, Dobbo, like you don't get it. You're in a different age bracket and you don't understand. Yes. And it's actually, I don't think that's the issue, right? I think there are some of my clients where they should absolutely be on social media. If you are selling beautiful homewares, then you should be on there. If you've got a beautiful product that photographs really well, get on those platforms and use a strategy around it. Mm -hmm. There are many people that are constantly posting before and they're looking for the, the currency of engagement like well, the only engagement i need is the exact customer that's profitable to me to give me a phone call and yeah. generally i've been watching companies have an average spend of between 25 and thirty thousand dollars on a social media arm in a medium-sized business small to medium and basically they're hiring someone to create content for them and i'll always push and say sure try it for a bit but what if we just pay that person the same amount of money to phone established clients or to nurture the ones that you're already engaged with. And the opportunity cost Over time, a lot of people in the business club, oh, it's just so much better. Now, there are some companies that I have in you know my community that the SEO on their website crushes it. When people get there, they read a case study and they say, mm. that's my client, and it converts. It's unbelievable. So there's a little bit of value in posting, but not proportional mm-hmm. to spend. And uh, so it was interesting to hear you say that. But that, that brings me then to... What are some novel approaches you've seen? Because there will be people that don't have that creative arm or that creative yeah. edge. And they say, well, what am I meant to do then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, novel approaches in, in what? Building awareness around your brand, around your business, around generating inquiry, is that, that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really like, um, there's so many. And they are novel. I think you've got to, before I share a few case studies with you around novel approaches to marketing a business, um, Anyone listening who is a business owner, I would just encourage them to value the power of an idea. Spend time coming up with ideas with your staff, your friends, your mentors, 
other colleagues, whoever it may be. And don't underestimate your creativity because as humans, we are creative. We are innately creative. Creativity is just looking at something and looking at a problem and doing it differently, finding a different solution. So honour that. Don't just go, oh, I'm not creative. Some novel approaches. Um, there was an extreme product demonstration, a client who does extreme product demonstrations. He's not, he's not a client, a guest on my podcast. Tom Dixon from Willett Blend. He owned a company called Blend Tech in the States. They provide all the great blenders for, you know, the Boost Juices and McDonald's of oh, the yeah. world who use blenders all the time. And um, Tom believed in his blenders so much that he created a YouTube series that was one of the original viral YouTube series where he would blend anything. He'd blend an iPhone in his blender, um, a, a hockey stick, um, a PS3, and he would stand there in this... You go to YouTube and see these videos, and he'd stand there in these safety goggles, these, this white lab coat, and he'd, at the start of each one, he'd hold the device. He might hold an iPhone, and he goes, Hello, everyone. The question is, will it blend? And then there'd be this crazy soundtrack, and he'd you know, then proceed to try and blend it. And every time, it, you know, the iPhone would end in dust. The PS3 would end in dust. The car door handle. And it was brilliant. So extreme product demonstration was awesome. Um, there's a fellow, Arthur Greeno, who owns a couple of franchises of Chick-fil-A in the States. Chick-fil-A is like a red rooster. Um, massive, I think it's the second or third biggest franchise in, in America, fast food franchise. Arthur was a, a rebel franchisee. Chick-fil-A hated him but loved him because he was so successful. Um, and his whole marketing strategy was around breaking Guinness Book of Records. So his franchises locally broke the Guinness Book of Records for the largest iced tea in the world, for the largest ice cream sundae in the world. And that was brilliant for a couple of reasons. It got him a lot of press globally and got him into the Guinness Book of Records, but it also brought his tribe, his community together, because you can't build the largest iced tea in the world without help from all your customers who came along on a Sunday morning and, and did this. So there is quite, quite clever. Um, Dan Norris, who I keep mentioning, but was my most recent interview, and I'm just in awe of what he's doing at, at Black Hops Brewery down on the Gold Coast, his novel approach, and it's not that novel, it's just bloody smart, is all about education. He has started a craft beer brand. He's got four tap rooms up and down the Gold Coast and in Brisbane. If you or I wanted to start a craft beer brand and or brewery right now, Dan's got over 100 blog posts explaining how to do it. He's written a book how to do it. He's published the recipes for his beers and runs a competition for his tribe to help them make his beers as opposed wow. to buy his beers. So he's all about educating. And I don't think enough of us educate. We think it's going to, oh, our competition's going to get all our secrets and all this kind of stuff. I'm not suggesting, you know, if you were the colonel that you give away your, your secret herbs and spices. But hey, Dan does. And I'll, I'll leave one, and there's many, mm. many more, Dobbo. But the last one, um, Joshua Nichols, he, he owns a company in Sydney called Platinum Electricians. And his novel approach to marketing was all about creating a 21-step customer manifesto, which I absolutely love. And it's actually my most popular episode ever. And um, Josh recognised that generally tradies are hopeless at showing up on time, at following up. They leave a mess. Hello to all you tradies listening. But hey, you know, tradies mm. have a bad rap. Josh recognised this and created this 21-step customer manifesto that every single one of his Sparkies, he's, it's a, a Platinum Electricians, it's a, it's a national electricians franchise, 
every one of his sparkies must follow this manifesto whenever they go on site into someone's home or office. And it's simple things like, arrive five minutes early, not 10 minutes late. Don't park in the driveway. Don't walk across the grass, use the path. When you're inside the house or the office, look for a light globe that's blown and replace it free of charge. These are simple things where wow. individually they're not that interesting, but when you add 21 of them up, it has a mm. multiplier effect. So all those things are really interesting. They've all been very effective for the business owners who came up with the ideas, and none of them involve social media, except for the extreme product demonstration that's on YouTube. Oh, and also, you can post about it. That's fine. It's just about not necessarily financing the heck out of thinking this is my one strategy. That's right. And usually if it's a decent post, it'll be shared in your community. Like I definitely am a big one for, look, just make sure that people that you already have a great relationship with know what you're doing, which is what that manifesto does. We've already got the client. So we're making sure that we handle it really well. They know this exists. And of course they have a barbecue on the weekend and they say, you wouldn't believe it. This guy comes, right. he takes his shoes off at the door. He changes the light bulb for me. He sweeps yeah. up afterwards and, and it creates this natural momentum. I feel like uh, the social media model is yelling to the universe in hope of a customer might hear us in some sort of echo in the yeah, distance. Right. What really happens is a whole lot of people who have got no interest in us here and comment and start getting in this dialogue with us and it's mad. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so there's a space for it. I've got some clients that that is where they make a huge amount of money, but it's great to hear some other options. And I like but, the creativity that you're like leading with there. It gets people thinking. Well, it's bloody fun. Business is, I know. Business is serious. Business should be fun. If you've chosen something that you love and are passionate about, and you're never going to work another day in your life, that old cliche. But marketing's fun. Creativity is a fundamental part of marketing. You know, it's why big brands pay big agencies for big ideas. You know, we can't afford to do that. So put aside some time. You know, most business owners, I'm sure, have got diarised the meeting with their solicitor, the meeting with their accountant, the meeting with their, their bookkeeper in their diaries, in their calendars. Well, how about booking a meeting with your marketing person, who may be yourself? as in mm. the business owner is the marketing person, but put aside time every week, you know, with people you respect and bounce around an idea would be a really good place to start. I just want to add something to social media because it's, it's a, geez, it's a rabbit hole, Dobbo, but the best book I came up with, and I can't stand the bloke, his name's Gary Vaynerchuk, who we've all heard of, um, mm. but he wrote that book, Jab, 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 Right Hook, and there was a couple of premises in there, but the one that I think stands out the most effective use of social media is you must remember that each social media channel is different. So don't treat them all the same. Don't come up with a post and put it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, it, it doesn't work like that. Um, LinkedIn is a networking event. So use business language and have a business conversation. Facebook is where people go to see what you're wearing, what you're eating, who you're with and where you are. So have a fun party-like conversation on Facebook. It's not very serious. Instagram is where you pimp stuff up visually, so it looks amazing. You know, so Twitter's a cocktail party where it's short, sharp bursts of conversation back and forth. If you understand that, then you're a little bit further into making social media effective as opposed to just some bloody, you know, shotgun effect and hoping something will stick or hit. That's my no, rant over. Absolutely. No, I love it. I love it. I'm aligned to that. I actually ran for the business club. I ran a workshop on that on each medium and thought, think about what this is actually for. And then it can even work out if you don't need to be on all platforms then. You can say, I don't necessarily fall in love with YouTube, so I'm not going to post there. Or, you know, we're a legal firm, so it makes more sense to be on 
uh, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, unless we're perhaps selling something maybe that's a little bit more like a will or something where we might find some people, oh, they want to see it on Facebook, but it's not yes. going to be a Twitter thing. So it's kind of obvious, but it's not when you step into it because people have never marketed before and it's a bit of a mystery. And then they go to an agency and an agency can just sell them everything um, unconsciously. And everyone's trying to do their best, but I, I'm just really pleased that you're bringing this conscious awareness to marketing and some alternatives. It made me think, one of the things I did to market my first book, which I, I don't release anymore, but it, it was good in its day. But what I did is I actually ran Australia's biggest chocolate pie fight as a promotion for it. And we actually got... Uh, the fire brigade to hose everybody down afterwards. We had a band on the hill playing Benny Hill, and awesome. we had thousands and thousands of chocolate pies. But then the way I got everybody to get, to turn up to the chocolate pie fight, my mate had a little green mini miner, and we parked it on the side of the road. And there was four of us all dressed in costumes. I think I was a koala or something. Somebody was a chicken, and we pretended that our car had broken down on the side of the road. And in peak hour traffic, everybody just watched <laughs> this it. show, and we were on just about every night. And so I actually get this jerry can. And I'm walking up, I don't know, I must be about 200 meters away from the car. I'm walking against the traffic as if I, so that people would see me and go, what is that, what is that bloody koala doing carrying a jerry can? And then they look up ahead and go, oh, this car's broken down. It was a story and there's a sign there. But then some guy pulls over and he says, hey, mate, do you, do you need a lift, mate? Thinking I actually need fuel. And I, yeah, I had yeah. to explain through, through my head, no, no, I'm, I'm just putting on a show. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, and I think people thought I was mad, but I, I've always probably had that uh, appetite for the risk. And also, I, I guess there's an element of if you do many of these things and some will work, you've got to just kind of like the idea that this is not my one chess move. I, yeah. As an artist, when I was young and I used, to, I used to paint, the mistake that the early painter makes is they have one canvas and they want to go, what shall I paint? Where the classic artist has... 10, 20 canvases and just starts and does lots until one sits. And I, mm. I think by taking lots of swings at marketing and being okay that some of them won't work, yeah. uh, it liberates you. And I think having, you know, a, a, this a keen awareness of I'm going to take lots and lots of swings until I find the thing that matches for me. And I think part, in order to, uh, you know, a way of doing that, Dobbo, is, you know, if you're a business owner listening, 80% of your marketing budget, keep doing what you're doing. As long as it's working, get rid of everything that's not mm. working. And probably tweak anything that you're not sure is working or not. Might need to tweak a headline, time of day, whatever it may be. But the remaining 20% of your marketing budget, allocate the stuff that makes you nervous, that is high risk, that may or may not work. But how else are you going to know? You know? And, and, and it's, a fun, again, fun thing to do. It's a lovely circuit breaker marketing in a world of seriousness. Oh, it's such a fun opportunity. It's such a fun opportunity. So I'm also curious because you've done this podcast with so many people and you've had 500 plus guests. How do your relationships with those guests unfold? Are there some of them that you continue to be friends with? Is it some of you bump in the street and it's awkward because you had that one chat and then you haven't spoken since? Like that's a lot of relationships because I find yeah. I get stretched on that. You know, in my relationships, I can't be besties with everybody all the time. Nah. So uh, there, wouldn't, there wouldn't be a guest that I would bump, a past guest that I would bump into on the street and it would be awkward because at the end of the day, they certainly don't see me as I'm about to start a relationship with, you know, Tim Reed right. because I was on the small business big marketing show. Probably different if I was Joe Rogan. I imagine a lot of guests, in fact, I was listening to one this morning that he was interviewing where I'm going, this guest, all he wants to do is be Rogan's best mate. 
and that ain't going to happen. Mm. Rogan's interested in what you've got to say, but you're not about to go around to his place for a barbecue. Um, so there is no awkwardness. Uh, I'm very cool with that. In fact, it was probably probably the first three or four years of my podcast, um, I went in as a marketing guy. And there was this tension that was, that was building in myself. And what I realized was that I'm, I'm, now, I'm now becoming a journalist. And any journalist listening is going to hate that because I have no formal journalism training. I certainly study interviewers. I read books about interviewing. But it's a mindset thing. You know, you're, you're the mindset guy. When you realize your job and change your mindset, then the answer to the question around relationships with my guests becomes very easy. I'm a journalist. I'm a conduit. I've identified a problem that my listening audience have. I find the best person in the world to answer that, and I bring that together and facilitate that conversation. That's what I see, what I do. Um, having said that, tomorrow I'm going out to lunch with a past guest, a fellow who I admire deeply, who's done an incredible thing with the social enterprise that he's created. Um, and there are uh, another guest, um, in, fact, in fact, Joshua Nichols. Um, he enjoyed my interviewing style so much that four years, for the next four years, I was the MC at his conferences. And, you know, went to Byron Bay, the Maldives, Vietnam, wow. you know, went to some crazy places with him. Um, and one of the things about I found with podcasting and my book, The Boomerang Effect, is all about this, is that when you invest time and effort into your marketing, it will return multiples. And those multiples won't just be more sales or more customers. It may be a media relationship. It may be a speaking career, which is what podcasting created for me. And what it has done, just to finish that conversation around past guests, is that, and I don't use it, because it feels like I'd, I'd be a user if I did, but I do have an incredible black book. Mm. I guess, uh, you know, if we were in the 80s, I have my Rolodex would be under lock and key because I've been lucky enough to speak to some pretty influential people in business. And um, so that's kind of, it's nice to know that that's there. And if I need to call on someone, which again, I don't, probably should do it more often. Um, but it, you know, in that sense, does that answer your question around my guests? Yeah, it does. It's, and I think I probably knew the answer. Although if I think about guests that come say to the business club and then they, they talk to us and I'll often, I'll record it and I'll say to them, look, we're recording in case we will edit some of it out and put it into a podcast later. And I did that, been doing that for four years. So I've got this backlog of all these interviews and they'll progressively just be cut up and released on this platform. But when I'm doing that, inevitably they'll say, look, don't put this in the recording or they might contact me later and say, mm, you know, mate, I think I sort of overreached there. Like you asked me that question. I, I don't want that in the recording because they've shared something that is really crucial to their business and they're, they're not sure how that might be received. And it's because I've probably got a different environment. I've actually got a, we're having a glass of wine and it's quite friendly and the priority is this, this dialogue, this honest, trusting dialogue. And as a result, uh, my relationships can sometimes be a bit different. So it was interesting hearing you say that. Um, I guess you're not drinking wine and uh, then they know they're being recorded and it's, it's fine. No, Mate, no. I like where you go with the, uh, the speaking stuff. You know, I think, you know, your 10,000 hours speaking plus doing yeah. the podcast. True. Have you got some go-to things that work 
for you as far as being successful in your presenting and also you said, you know, you read a lot of books about asking the right questions for podcasting. To give you a hint for me or to start the conversation, I've known that when I go and do a keynote, I know what I'm doing. I know the content very well. The brief is very important. But I also find if they have a laugh, they thought it was great. Mm-hmm. And even though I can do a cracking job with content, they kind of want to laugh a little bit. They want to be more at ease. So I don't patronize the audience and go, here's a couple of jokes. But I know that's really important for pretty much 90%. If, if in doubt, make sure that people are just, they laugh a little bit and they play and they find, find this joy in what they're learning. So that would be a go-to. And, I've, and the other thing I would go to are stories. If I feel like I've got to teach a lot, if I go to a story, the audience often get more out of those stories and they remember them. And I sometimes wonder why I'm teaching the other shit because yeah. they just love a story. And that's not disrespectful yeah. to the audience. It's like, that's a better teaching tool. So as you've done this for many years now, have mm-hmm. you got some things like that that you know are your go-to success strategies? Yeah, well, so I'm lucky enough to have, um, I think, Australia's best speaking coaches on my side, Troy and Zara. So speaking happened to me. My speaking career started about, I don't know, I'm going to say seven years ago as a result of a marketing director of a large global insurance company out of Sydney being a fan of my podcast. This person contacted someone in a speaker's bureau and this person in the speaker's bureau subsequently contacted me and said, and I was picking up the kids at school at the time and it was manic, you know, when you're picking up the kids and there's, oh, you don't know yet, but it, it's, it's a manic sort well, of three, picking them up three, from daycare, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's cars and kids and lollipop people everywhere and it's madness. And the phone went on and I normally wouldn't have picked it up, but for some reason I did. And there was this lady at the other end and she said, you don't know me, but I've got a client who loves you and wants to have you do this road show. And she was from a speaker's bureau and I didn't know what they were. I didn't know what a road show was. And I said, listen, can I call you back? <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like a genuine call. I'll call you back. Called her back an hour later and this client flew me to Sydney to meet me and ended up booking me for an eight city road show around Australia. I hadn't, I'd done a little bit of speaking and you know, at, at advertising agency level in front of clients and launching products for you know, Gillette and stuff, but nothing at the level that I subsequently started to do. And that went really well. And then the lady at the Speakers Bureau got a report back from the client saying he's the best, one of the best speakers we've had. She said, we don't know who you are, but we'd like you to become an exclusive speaker for us. So I became an exclusive speaker for this bureau and the rest is history. At that point, I'm going, okay, this is now serious. People are paying me thousands of dollars to go on their stage and share something that I know, which I thought was a bit weird, but I was certainly happy to go with it. And I thought I had a fairly good handle on how to present stuff. I didn't, even though I'd done a good job for this insurance company. And one day I was in Port Douglas with a colleague of both yours and mine, Brad Smith from Brad Motorcycles who's had an interesting business journey in himself, in itself. But, and Brad, I judged Brad at the time. He's this little kid, little motocross kid with a bleached hair mullet and, you know, spoke pretty roughly, rode in on a bloody motorbike into the, into the conference venue and he did this presentation. He got off stage and when he got off, I was, I was the next one on. I said, there's no way you wrote that presentation. <laughs> it was so bloody good. And he said, I didn't. He said, I didn't. Troy and Zara helped me. I go, who's Troy and Zara? So anyway, 
I, I employ Troy and Zara. I, I'm telling you this for a, I'm going the long way around. Dolo. Oh, it's fascinating. Keep, keep, keep going. Keep driving the well, long way. I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's a story, and you mentioned stories. Yeah. I could have just, I could have just I'm told in. you. I'm in. I'm about to make my point, but um, my point wouldn't have been as compelling, and it wouldn't have landed. It wouldn't have landed as well if I hadn't told a little background story. So there's a little lesson there for those playing along at home. And so then Troy and Zara said, oh, yeah, okay, you want us to coach your speaking? And these guys are, you know, they're not, they're not dummies. These guys are the real deal. And they said, okay, uh, they're pretty short and sharp about it. Both are stand-up comedians, by the way. There's something in that, and I can touch on that later, but their pedigree is stand-up comedy. And they were sort of the Hamish and Andy of, of WA for a very long time as well, radio people. And they said, okay, if you think you've got what it takes, we're going to come in, find a boardroom, which I've got the boardroom at the Speakers Bureau that, had, that made me an exclusive speaker. They said, we're going to come in with a camera and we're going to record you doing your presentation. And I did. And then they pulled it apart. They, what do they do to Navy SEALs? They, they, they crush them and rebuild them. Mm. And, and, and that's mm. what the guy did to me. The big, big learning here for me and what changed my speaking and turned my presentation into a proper keynote that I was proud to charge good money for was they said, okay, in your hour's keynote, you've got about eight points you want to make. There's one big point, which is marketing's awesome and here's why. And within that, there's a whole lot of points. Let's chunk those points down. And with each of those chunks, we want you to apply a formula called heart smart, fart, okay? And the order of heart, smart, fart is irrelevant. It could be fart, smart, heart. It could be smart, heart, fart. It doesn't matter. A heart is a story. Tell a story. Get some heart. Get some emotion going. A fart is a funny. It's a smile. It's not a, it's not a bend over belly, belly laugh. It can be but just a little smile, right? And the smart is the point you want to make. And that's the boring bit, right? It's important because that's what you want people to take away, but they're not going to take it away as effectively and they're certainly not going to remember it and implement it and be excited about implementing it if it's not backed up by a story and a smile. So, you know, you got two of the three. Really got three because the obvious mm. you're going to make a point. You've got to make people smile. Mm. And you've got to tell a story. And there's a bit of pressure there because all of a sudden anyone listening to this may think, well, now I have to be a bloody stand-up comedian and, a, and a, you know, I need to be JK Rowling because I need to tell stories. Not true. Not true. Everyone has a story to tell. Behind every action in your business, there'll be a story, whether it's someone shared that idea with you or getting that action to market or that idea to market. There's a story behind that. And... You know, I'm big, Dobbo, I'm big on smiles, mate. Again, world's too serious. Business is serious. World's in a pretty bad place at the moment, so smiles are really, really important. So I think more business owners can kind of inject. And again, I'm not asking them to be a stand-up comic. I'm not asking them to get have people bending over in laughter. Just find little smiles, little anecdotes that drive points home and your business will be better and the world will be better as a result. Yeah, I think it's a very simple tool 
for any experience, right? So, you know, I go into Maya all the time, and I'm like, the only thing you guys really have got. Hang on, can I just call you on that? that hold your what? hold your thought. You go into Maya's all the time. You know, Maya, the department store. Yeah, yeah, I do. How come? How come you're going into a department store all the time? Oh, look, see, you're holding me to my words. I mean, well, at Christmas we go to Maya because it's got the Christmas section. It's the only, it's got the best Christmas section and Holly runs around there and there's Christmas right. trees and I love right. it. But if we were to, if we go into the city, we will park in one particular spot and then it takes you into one building and you go through Maya and it's fairly simple. And with the kids, we feel like we can be in that space and we don't have to go to multiple shops. And so just back off a little, but anyway, I don't go there all the time. <laughs> But when we go to Maya, I always look at the place and think the opportunity you've got here is that you can create an experience. And if online, I can't get the experience. I get a bit of an experience, but not the same. When I go into a shopping center, I have the opportunity to experience something. That's why we go to the Christmas section. At least we'd like there's a vibe. The lack of kindness or uh, even with the systems like, oh, I'm not really in this section. You know, you have to speak to that person or I can't put that oh, through the register. Mate. This complete yeah. lack of all these little smiles or kindness it's an easy fix and there's even a shop near us. It's a bookshop and there's an elitism in that bookshop and I'm sure it works for some people, but there's just not a kindness. And I think, you know, when we talk about a smile, he called it a fart. It's actually just another way to think of it. It's just, can I just be sweet or kind or can I make somebody's day? And it really doesn't, it doesn't take a lot. Uh, It does take some courage because I hear people often say, Oh yeah, I meant to send them a card or, I was going to give them this, but oh, maybe it'll be a bit weird. I really think it's important to take that risk because I'd sooner have taken that risk to say, oh, here's a special, here's a gift or here's that follow-up thing. There was a guy years ago that we were in a meeting. This is back in the days when um, your car key didn't fold down. It was just, you know, they, it was that era when there was a big, and it had an electronic button on it, but the key stuck out and in your pocket. It just about killed you, right? If you sat down <laughs> at the wrong angle. Yeah. And I had a little piece of leather that tied mine to the rest of my keys and it meant that it, folded gently and it didn't kill you and he saw it and he was just in this meeting he was gobsmacked now he's he, this guy sold this company for 600 million dollars right i get home and i just make him one and post it to him and i get this phone call he is just and i don't have to sell him back then i was not smart enough but he was in he's like oh this is the best thing he's telling everybody and i feel like there's a risk in doing that because he could have got that and thought that's pretty lame this guy has just sent me this random crappy bit of leather and i, I feel like that's that courage thing you, you mentioned and spoke to Grant and Matt about this recently and Grant Hackett was saying how he thinks courage is this underestimated quality in performance that people think it's all about drive and motivation. He was really putting forward that courage was at the core of performance because of the risks that you've got to take and you've got to step bravely into discomfort, uh, potential discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. So I really yeah, like often, it, often it's, it's courage. courage. It's your own self-courage. It's not about courage in, oh, you know, breaking a Guinness Book of Worlds is courageous. Actually, it's courageous deciding to break a Guinness Book of Record. It's a Guinness Record, you know? It's, it's having the, yeah. the courage to say, I'm gonna make that part of my marketing strategy for my business. The doing is probably the easy part. But going back to that um, the, the little leather thing, you know, seeing that, such a simple thing to do is that great marketing formula that says high perceived value to the recipient at a low cost to the business owner, which is exactly what you've done. And the, the gap in the middle is the marketing magic, yeah? So that leather thing cost you nothing. You probably enjoyed it. Mm. And he's received it and, and seen it as something that probably has some actual dollar value to it. Plus, you've taken the time and effort mm. and thoughtfulness to actually do it. 
there's a couple of past guests that come to mind, both incredibly successful, both of which follow that simple premise that you just explained. Um, one is Steve Sims from Bluefish. Bluefish is the biggest personal concierge agency in California, in Los Angeles, maybe the world. Clients like Elton John and George Clooney pay Steve large sums of money to be a member of Bluefish, and then Steve does whatever they want. A great example, um, I sort of digressing here, so mate, write down where we left the rabbit hole, will you, so we can come back. I said, what's the most recent thing you've done for one of your clients, Steve? He goes, well, I can't tell you who it was, but last week we were at the um, Academia in Florence. Uh, I think that's where the statue of David is, Michelangelo's David. Uh, Been there, but I'm rusty. Go on. I said, yeah, anyway, one of those places. Um, his client, who was a, a member of, of Bluefish Concierge, um, wanted to have a dinner for four people, four-course dinner, silver service, at the feet of David after hours, with Andrea Bocelli singing between courses, and he'd made that happen. Oh. And uh, awesome. Now, I digress. Only that's just a, that's just a fun story. Um, Steve makes a habit. He flies all the time. He's always travelling. He's always in hotel rooms. He goes down to reception. He stays at nice hotels. He goes down to reception and says, "You know, can I have fifty pieces of your letterhead and fifty of your envelopes with your moniker on it, please?" And they happily give it. You know, you're a guest. They kind of have to. Um, and then he's always looking at magazines and ripping out pages. Um, he might have a client who loves Labradoodles and he sees an article or an ad for something with a Labradoodle in it. He rips it out, scribbles on it, says, I think you might like to see this Elton, because Elton's a client of his, and he posts wow. it to him. On, you know, simple, you know, no downside, bit of fun, looks like he's made some effort, keeps him on the radar. And then Peter Lorimer, who owns a real estate agency in, in um, Beverly Hills, funnily enough, both LA people, but um, only a coincidence. Peter's a fascinating fellow. He was a music producer. He produced 30 number one, Billboard number one hits for people like Madonna and Gaga and, you know, big names. Got involved in the sex, drugs and rock and roll of that industry, nearly had a breakdown, left that industry, moved to LA started a real estate agency selling homes to creative people, the people that he was producing for. Wow. Now, he, now he's got a show on Netflix where he, he does a bit of a Gordon Ramsay, but on, um, on Airbnb properties. And his real estate agency employs 200 people. Peter has a, a rule called the 666 rule. Um, he likes it because it's the devil's number, the, the number of the beast or whatever, but you could call it a 555 or an 888. He applies the 666 rule every day. He must make six emails, six phone calls, and six texts. And you could change this to six Facebook messages, six LinkedIn emails, whatever it is. But he must mm, reach out mm. to 18 people every single day, not in a salesy way. Okay? Hey, just thinking of you. Hope all's well. Hey, heard you had COVID. Sorry to hear it. You know, whatever it may be, just to stay in touch. These are simple wow. things. These are simple, fun, memorable things that keep you on you, the business owner, and your business and your brand on the radar because guess what? No one's thinking about us. <laughs> and this makes mm. them think about us, reminds them that we're there. I, I think that's so important. I was asked by that by a client during the week whose new business really is about leveraging their network. And he was asking about how to do that. 
with you know reaching out to people and similar and he said some people are doing me favors and i say thank you i sent him a text i said yeah you can do that mate but it's more effective if you do something that surprises them it's more effective if they come home and there's beers on the doorstep or you another one i've done sometimes is i'll reach out to somebody's partner their husband or their wife and if they help me out outside of business hours i say hey i know you gave up time you know your, your husband gave up time with the family and it would have impacted you and i'm so grateful and this is how they impacted the person this is what i did and this is how it helped me and helped a few other people. And they're very grateful. And I'm not trying to be cringeworthy. I, I, you got to pick which thing is right for the right person. But what you're saying there is that sense of it's different. It's out of the box. It's uh, They're not expecting it. It's not, I'm not getting a bloody email. I'm not getting a birthday card from your goddamn CRM, right? I, I'm, you know, that kills me, that, 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 that stuff. The other Please thing that you mentioned just about, Everyone listening, stop. Mm. As of right now, Coming this Christmas, please make a diary note to not buy a bunch of Christmas cards and get people in your business that, you know, your client has probably never met to sign it and wish me a happy Christmas. That, I sound like the Grinch saying that, but it's friggin' meaningless. You know, it, it really is. I think it actually does more harm than good, that kind of stuff. You know, it, it's, 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 just, it's like ticking a box and the box didn't need to be ticked. Totally agree. There's something else you said too about the tearing the article out and whacking the envelope and posting it off. That book, uh, Atomic Habits, has a great model and said, too often when you're trying to create a habit, you make it too complex, like going to the gym. He said, like, just do it inside two minutes. And I think a lot of these small activities that you're talking about, not overcomplicating them so they don't happen is really important. He's doing that within two minutes. He arrives at the hotel. He can ask for the paper right away. As soon as he sees the article, he can chuck it in. And I'm a big one for progress over perfection. Just get the thing going. It'd be better for Elton John to be able to call him and say, mate, what is this crappy bit of paper you sent me? This is a joke, you know, and to be able to have that dialogue. That's right. Than Elton John never call <laughs> you and feel like he doesn't exist, right? Exactly <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, yeah. Well, it's atomic habit. So I said this there, I, I've done two interviews with Steve because he's so interesting. The second one was because we stay in contact. And um, at one point he told me he, Elton John was a client of his. And that one of the jobs that Steve does for Elton is every year organises his private party after the Grammy Awards each, each year. And I said, would you come back on and explain how you got Elton John as a client? So we, I have a whole podcast on the Small Business Big Marketing Show dedicated to how to get Elton John as a client. Remove Elton wow. John and replace it with any other name. And talking about Atomic Habits, and I haven't read that book, but... Steve applied an atomic habit, I think, here, because what he did was goes, well, there's a really, like, anyone you really want to get in front of, a business owner, a CEO, probably you, um, there is a big Doberman in between me and that other person. You know, the old phrase, you know, get mm. past the Doberman. In mm. front of Elton, and in front of any heavy hitter, important person, air quotes again, there's actually probably a whole lot of baby Dobermans as well. So start with the runt of the litter that very first person and find out what they like, what they're into. And let's say that little baby puppy Doberman who may be the receptionist loves old English roses. Send her a book on old English roses and then ring her and say, g'day, did you get the book on old English roses? I know it's a bit weird, you don't know me, but you know, blah, blah. Do you mind if I speak to blah, blah? And that blah, blah may be the next Doberman, the next puppy Doberman in the line. For Elton, I think there were 10 baby Dobermans before getting to the big Doberman, which is Elton's husband. And then you get to Elton. And he just worked his way through the baby Doberman. 
Mm. I think there's value in that patience of that journey too. Some people try to achieve something in one chess move, one phone call, push me through now. I really want to speak to my important. Yeah. And then give up. And, and that's often people think that their business is going to be grown by this one big thing. It's going to liberate me if I just have this thing happen. And it doesn't actually work like that. It's lots of small successes that build over time until eventually you realize, you, you know, you've built a decent sandcastle. That's interesting. There was a, a lady years ago that she was a GM at a company I was working for and she was Greek and, a, and I knew her family and I knew her and I was growing vegetables at the time. And so it came to Christmas. I just brought in a paper bag, all these vegetables that I cooked at home. And she was ecstatic. Other people you should not give those to. But that really matched who she was and what she valued. And the relationship is, I don't know, it's cemented in a way. It becomes personal. And then we realize that we've got to do all this work stuff. I love hearing those stories. I think we could swap them. Like, obviously, you and I, when we do chat, we just, I think there's plenty of stuff we could talk about. But moving towards the end of our time now, I'm curious about your other passions and interests. Because if it does take you five hours to do that episode, and then you've got, you know, there's some calls and supporting things doing, there's some speaking gigs, but I've been down at Newson, I've swum the, you know, whatever, what's that distance called to you that cross the bay or whatever that is? I, I see you swimming every morning. And yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what are these other passions that you get taken towards? I uh, well, people have got an idea that doesn't go away. They've got things that just linger in their mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah, really yeah. Interesting. So it's an interesting question because here we are having had probably a quarter of this discussion has been dedicated to some form of courage, find mm. the bottle to actually make that big move. COVID really affected my business, Dobbo. Uh, you know, speaking conferences disappeared. They haven't really, they haven't certainly haven't come back to the level they were pre-COVID. There are some speaking colleagues that have made some pretty interesting pivots in their own business and built studios in their home, got the proper lighting, got the proper cameras, got, you know, all this kind of stuff and trained themselves up to present virtually. And as a result, you know, I've got one speaking colleague who does over a million bucks a year and continues to do over a million bucks a year in speaking fees virtually. I didn't make that change, too lazy, or maybe didn't have the courage, whatever. Um, so, not, um, it's not that, the passion, you know. No, not the passion there to do, to do mm. it. And then the podcast sponsorship market took a bit of a hit with COVID, and that's just coming back. But podcasting in itself has exploded, as we all know, and so there is, the pond has become a bloody ocean now, I, I was listening to Adam Curry, who was the podfather. He was one of the original podcasters way back then, and I was listening to him yesterday or the day before. There is, there's three million podcasts in the world. Three million. There's two, only two million on iTunes. So there's another million out there somewhere. So um, the podcast sponsorship market um, took a bit of a beating, and that's just starting to come back. And they're the two ways I make money. So I'm, I find myself at a crossroads as to what to do next and I'm finding it's actually a really difficult decision to make because I suppose when you've been successful at something and it, and it defined you, I no longer let the Small Business Big Marketing Podcast define me, but I, I used to before I knew better. That was a mistake in itself. But um, uh, when you've had the success, it is hard to kind of go and do something completely different so I'm sort of in that place now, and you ask, you know, what other passion projects I have. Look, I love ocean swimming, mate. Um, had a couple of operations last year, a spinal operation, knee operation, kind of knocked me around a bit, and getting back into that ocean has been difficult, but I'm, I'm back, and I had a beautiful swim this morning, actually. Um, I'm really interested in stand-up comedy. I mentioned stand-ups earlier. I think stand-up comedians, you know, from a marketing point of view, from a messaging point of view, from a writing point of view, are brilliant. They have two major tasks. One is to make people smile and laugh, and the other one 
is to um, use words very economically. It's very easy to be verbose. It's very hard to be short, sharp, succinct, funny, get your point across. And they are geniuses at it. So I've been watching a lot of stand-ups from the point of view of how do they go about it. Read Seinfeld's book, you know, even listening to a lot of Joe Rogan, who is by trade a stand-up comedian, incredible story. Um, but I love singing and music. I've joined a band, a garage band. I'm the lead singer of a garage band that you'll never hear. Um, but that's wow. awesome. And that re that really, I suppose as a speaker, it's a bit easier to get, get in front of a microphone instead of talk, sing. But when you can't sing, <laughs> it's a bit of a problem. But, you know, I'm getting singing lessons and having fun with that. And I have a really deep interest as a 54-year-old male, a 54-year-old male business owner. I have a deep interest in middle-aged male business owner well-being because I see a lot of them in that category and let's call it 40 to 60 year old men who own businesses I see a lot of miserable ones um, I, I see a lot of them looking down and not up I see a lot of them asking themselves is this it have I worked this hard for where I am I'd like to help them in some way shape or form so there's an idea there that I'm sort of tossing around whether it be retreats or some kind of online forum membership site. I don't know, a podcast. So there's a bit going on there, buddy, but um, it's a really interesting, for me, that's an interesting, I'm in an interesting moment in my career and deciding what to do next. I'll continue to do the Small Business Big Marketing podcast, of course. There's too much invested in that and there's too many people who, mm. who, who love it and I know it makes a difference to their lives and I, I'm really proud of that. Yeah, so there's a bit going on there, mate. I think you even talking about that challenge between 40 and 60 helps people, frankly. Mm. I think a lot of us just feel, uh, uh, what's the word, like acknowledged or noticed or witnessed when you hear somebody else say it. Um, yeah. Like for me, I, I had a midlife crisis. I didn't know I was having it. And all men go through this, I've since learned, that there's this yes. certain window where there's, uh, and I'm not saying that if that's what you're going through, but I, I know I did. And it's a window where all your certainty disappears and you're not sure. You, it's like you're going to a cocoon and you're trying to work out, okay, I spent all this year developing myself. Now I kind of got to throw it all away. And does, is any of this real? Is any of this stick? And then the, eventually over after time, it, it does stick and you go, oh, this is who I am. And the fear disappears. But for me, it went on for three years or something. And it wasn't like I needed to buy a sports car or similar. I think that our no, community that. doesn't understand. It's not at all that. And also we kind of mock it and it shouldn't be mocked because it's, it's, a, it's a, just a, part of growth almost like puberty uh, or, or menopause is it's this, yeah. this cycle that we go through in our in a development as a man and i'm not did you did you put me onto that book? Male, female, no no i get it i get it i, I get it but but, but yeah. that, what was that book you put me on to or was it you that yeah the amazing the amazing development of men of man yeah and they talk about or yeah. she uh, the author i bought the audio version of it mm. i don't know whether there was a hard That's right. copy version of it but um yeah i did audio as well the, you know the tunnel for yeah, that, the tunnel for that middle-aged man you find yourself in it and it's a very lonely place, and only and only we can get out of it. Maybe it is our version of menopause. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to sort of. It's, it's not. It's not an us and them. No, thing. I know. It's not. A, it's not a. I know. Um, but us, us men who are in here in that age bracket, um, it does need to be talked about, mate. And I guess I'm. I am quite passionate, and I think it's awesome that our generation, well, my generation. I'm 54. How old are you? 40, buddy. Something. 48. Not too young. Yeah. So, um, well, you you're in our generation. My generation. Um, mm. You know, certainly growing up, mental health, mental well-being, 
anxiety, depression, bipolar. These things were not mentioned. They certainly weren't mentioned in our parents' generation. My three kids' generation, the 20-year-olds, the 20-somethings, par for the course. And I know this thing about mm. woke and all that kind of stuff. You know, I maybe I was going to say I get it. Maybe I get some of it. But there is certainly an awareness um, that I think is wonderful that's developed that we can have these conversations. And, and I think I would add to that personally for this conversation that you and I are having. I don't know what people listening think about you. I don't know what they think about me. Maybe the one guess I could offer up is that they both think, oh, here's two successful blokes having a chat about how successful they are. I certainly hope not because I certainly don't want to give that across. And I just want to, people to know that there is, you know, be real. You know, stop being, and again, I'm representing business owners here, small business owners. Stop being tough. Stop sitting at the top of the bloody hill, you know, feeling lonely as if you've got no one to talk to because you're the boss. We can't do that anymore. It's not healthy and men are really bloody good at it. You know, men are really good at not talking, at not sharing, at pretending they know everything. Women are so good at talking and sharing and maybe they go on too much, but they, I reckon they're awesome at like how they just, yeah. they, they talk their way out of problems. And I don't mean that in a sneaky way. I mean, they use, they use the magic of words to fix stuff. And we don't. I think one of the important things is there's things in our community like the Are You Okay Day and similar, but nobody, if you say, No, I'm not, nobody knows what to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in that community, yeah, I'm sure. But so I think even the fact that, you know, we're crossing over this um, masculine, feminine space, male, female space, and that's another area where at the moment there's like, if you talk about it wrong, you get shot down. What we're actually got to look for, this is saying, before you conclude, that you got low self-esteem, just check to see if you're surrounded by assholes. Mm. And sometimes we're not sharing because we haven't found the person who gets us, who understands it. And it's usually another business owner or somebody who's got a similar sort of life, similar sort of challenges. When you speak to them, it doesn't mean that they necessarily, because they've got a business, doesn't mean they do understand because they've also got to be brave enough to be vulnerable and not be trying to create a hierarchy between like, you know, when you and I talk, there's no hierarchy. Sometimes I'll be your student and sometimes you'll be my student. We have this ability to, to bounce and share. And it took me a long time to find that network. And I'm very lucky. I've got lots of people now and that, and I still had to go through the tunnel regardless. You can't speed that up. It's just like a, you know, waiting for your hair to grow back. You just go to go through this journey. Uh, however, I know when we get our business club together, that's the intent is that there's other business owners bouncing off each other and you know you say i've got this problem with a staff member and you know i've got a, this challenge again and everyone else says yeah me too and you're like oh so i'm not failing as a leader we're like no this is the playing field you're always going to have a people problem you know mm. and i think a lot of it is it's just looking for who has a similar challenge to you and and tabling a little bit of a challenge this is where i'm at this is my and you know sometimes you feel foolish but eventually it, it sticks and i feel like you know no, you and i've had heaps of chats and, like that and through feel the years. foolish Feel what it feels like to feel foolish and be foolish and, and, and just move on. You know, we, we sometimes, and I'm guilty as anyone else, we sometimes avoid certain emotions. We don't want to be seen as being vulnerable. We don't want to be seen as being honest. We don't want to be seen as being whatever it may be. Well, freaking start being seen that way and see what it's like. You know, test it out. I don't know whether that's a proven bloody psychological solution. I'm going through it as much as anyone. And... Um, what, what's the option, Dobbo? Not doing anything? Stagnating? That's it. That's, that's absolutely 
the discussion. It's what are you going to do? And it was interesting years ago, I broke up with this girl and uh, I was in the world of hurt and, you know, you still love them, but it doesn't work. And then three weeks later, she said to me, uh, we, we chatted and how are you doing? Yeah. All right. And she said, how are you doing? She got, wait, let me guess. You've read six books on relationships in the last three weeks <laughs> to try to work this out. I was like, well, it's five, but I did read one five. twice. And, uh, <laughs> and I do tend to look for uh, autobiographies where people have told their story because I find I get a lot of our story again. And I do tend to, if I'm stuck, I, I look for someone who solved it. Has somebody navigated this? Has somebody got some sort of framework? And uh, th- if I can't find someone to talk to, I'll, I'll learn as much as I can on all these things. And, and, yeah, and yeah, you know, yeah. even with, if you look, think about this podcast, before I got it going, I was thinking about this podcast for four years and I'd flagged it with you a long time ago. And I would bounce it off you and Mick and a few other friends who've got podcasts. And I was like, look, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. And I think sometimes, you know, you said, you know, people might look at two guys that have been successful. I, I did a lot of really bad recordings. I did a lot of weird attempts. And I listed a lot of stupid names for a podcast. And, you know, I sort of swung, took a few chances. But then I also was reaching out to people like you and saying, well, how could this be done? What do you reckon? And I really try to act on that stuff. And, and I did for... You know, we can talk another time about that, but uh, you know, oh no, that's my two cents, my framework. Look, mate, oh, it's so good having to, getting to do this. I really wanted to do this. Good. I have not listened to every 584 episodes, but I can what? tell you that I know I've got two to go. But uh, I, it has been a regular. You know, when people say to me what podcast do I listen to, I'm like, you know, yours is a, is in the rotation, and uh, thank you. I. I think that there's a real value in people going and checking your stuff out. I do remember seeing early footage you on stage too. I've since seen the matured stuff, if you like, I want a better return. Mm-hmm. Mate, the raw energy and the passion you had, and you still managed to keep, you bring that when you're on stage. You just turn up with this personality that lights up the room. Oh, and right. uh, I think that these are good resources for people. Um, I haven't read The Boomerang Effects, but guys, if you're, if this is the marketing space you want to get into, like Timbo's obviously the man. He's done both into the scale. So uh, from corporate all the way down to the, to the small guy. So, mm. mate, thank you so much. And uh, Thank you, Dobbo. Mate, I, I'll, I'll be calling you again for some other topic. I'm not sure what it is yet, but uh, I'm ready to go. I'll, well, I, 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 I heard one bloke. I can't remember the term he used, but I, I, I've been listening to a lot of Joe Rogan lately, and he had some guest on the other day, and he said, listen, the guest said, listen, anytime one of your guests cancels and you need to step in, at the last minute, call me. So I'd be happy to do that for you, buddy. And um, well done. Well done for you for getting your podcast up and off the ground and making a difference to people's lives because that's what you're doing. And, uh, and, and guess what? It's a little marketing channel for you and your personal brand. But guess what? It's fun and it is making a difference. So good on you. Yeah, I just want, I honestly just want to help people. It's like crazy. I, I lose sleep at night. I say to my wife, I just don't know if we helped enough people today. And I don't think people believe <laughs> that, but I, I, I wish it wasn't my curse, but, but I'm glad we've managed to help, mate. Always a pleasure. I look forward to us chatting again again next time. Peace, brother. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap for today. We hope you enjoyed the show. Dabo is not really in all the socials, so to be kept informed and find resources, head to dabo.com.au.